You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula still has all your Star Wars miniatures, all your comic books, and all your Magic the Gathering tournaments every day of the week. But now, they're making it easier for wheelchair users to come into their store because they're building an accessible washroom. This one hits home for me, you guys. I'm a person who uses a mobility scooter, and it's just easier for me to use the washroom when it's accessible. And there's a lot of comic shops, even in downtown Toronto, that don't have accessible washrooms. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, Harry Tarantula is doing what they need to do to move the needle forward and make their place more accessible for everyone. They're also building a cafe. Uh, this has been a really uh, successful thing around Toronto, marrying uh, coffee with comics, and uh, Harry Tarantula is following suit. So come on down to 3456 Young Street, show them your support, and tell them Aaron sent you. Hey, fan people. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm always talking about the connection between comics and coffee. It's because I love coffee. I do my French press every morning. I do the pour-over. That's why we've teamed with the superheroes at BAM Coffee, bamcoffee.ca. Their roaster, Aaron, is Canadian, he's from Saskatchewan, and he's a geek like us. That's why he's putting his clean, ethically sourced coffee in something called a BAM box. He's combining coffee with the geek swag that I know our listeners are going to love. That's 700 grams or 350 grams of coffee with art prints by local Canadian comic artists, a limited edition mug. I mean, what more could you ask for? If you want to try it, he's giving a special promo code to SpeechBubble listeners, SB15. So go to bamcoffee.ca, type in SB15 at checkout, and get 15% off your first BAM box. Hey, maybe you want to just try the coffee. That's okay too. He'll send you 150 grams of coffee, and all you gotta pay for is the shipping. I mean, that's a pretty amazing deal. So go to bamcoffee.ca and tell Aaron that Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one on one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hey, fan people, welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. You can follow us on all social media Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Speech Bubble Pod. Uh, we are here on a very special live episode of Speech Bubble at the Guelph Comic Jam uh, put on by The Dragon. Uh, they are the uh, retail sponsor of the Schuster Awards, which is the Canadian comic book awards for mainstream comics, giving away, uh, basically honoring people who are Canadian and work in mainstream comics. They're not the Doug Wright Awards. The Doug Wright Awards are the Canadian Independent Comic Book Awards. But tonight are the Schusters, right at the Dragon, which is a comic shop here in Guelph, where we are recording this live. 
during the Guelph Comic Jam. We have a whole bunch of different people uh, selling their wares, including my next guest, Jay Stevens. Jay Stevens, you will remember from uh, cartoons that he did, like The Secret Saturdays and Tuttenstein, but he's also an acclaimed cartoonist and comic artist. Uh, he did The Land of Nod, where some of the characters from his animation uh, stem from. He's also worked for mainstream comics, Aliens, one of them, Felix the Cat, Teen Titans. Um, he's a really great cartoonist, and he has a new book out called Dejex, where he brings back some of those old characters that you recognize, including the Nod, his iconic character from uh, Sin, the first uh, comic that he ever did. Uh, Tuttenstein is in there, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to him. Uh, his first work in uh, animation was actually for a show that I used to watch as a kid called Squawk Box. <laughs> That's amazing. You remember it's called that. the Wonder Duds. Uh, it starred a child actor called Dove Tiffenback that I was uh, fascinated by when I was yeah. a kid because he was a kid about my age who was doing all this sort of crazy sophomoric humor that he shouldn't have been able to do at his age, but he did it anyway. A genius. And, and Jay was like a writer on that show, and he did Wonder Duds. His first start in animation was on YTV's Squawk Box. He also invented Chick and D for Chickadee Magazine. Also true, Chickadee yes. Magazine, Canadian institution for kids. <laughs> it's amazing. So please welcome Jay Stevens. Uh, thanks for that intro, Aaron. This is great. It's so nice to talk to you, man. Uh, I, I really love your style. It sort of harkens back to sort of the old uh, cartoons of yore. You know what I mean? Like the Felix Thank the you. Cats, uh, those classic sort of Hanna-Barbera, and like style that you see in video games today like Cuphead and things like that. Absolutely. I love Cuphead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can, you can see my influences. Uh, I'm wearing them on my sleeve. Yeah. I love all that stuff. I'm a big fan of early animation and then like the comic brush line of of uh, like the Harvey comics and uh, my favorite looking Marvel books are still the uh, Ramita Spider-Man issues. I just love that incline so much. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I can't wait to dig into some of your uh, new books like DJX because you're bringing back some of your old characters. It's a very interesting return. I mean, you know, starting in underground comics you know, 30 years ago, uh, and then slowly, slowly crawling my way up to, you know, um, Emmy-winning animation and, uh, you know, a, a freaking toy line with, with uh, Secret Saturdays um, and, uh, and a, a daily newspaper strip and all that stuff. And then finding my, my way back here is kind of cool. Here I am back in Guelph, where it all started, uh, with a collection of comics uh, from the gutter, it's uh, it's nice to be back laying in the gutter. Right, and you mentioned your comic strip. That's Oddville, right? That was originally published in The Stranger in Seattle, right? That's correct, yeah, yeah. And that's that's where Jet Cat first appeared, who went on to become uh, a, a kind of popular character in her own right. But yeah, she was a, a, a throwaway um, guest character in the Oddville weekly strip. That's awesome. So how did this all start for you? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I was a kid in Brampton, Ontario, um, bor born in Toronto, lived there till I was around five, but then sort of came of age in Brampton. And uh, 
first generation Canadian, so from a British family background. Uh, my grandmother was probably the biggest single influence on my career in that um, my mom, you know, she, she wasn't against me collecting comics or anything, but the, I, I think the idea of collecting just wasn't there in those days. So, you know, if I had a comic at home that got a little dog-eared, she'd probably throw it out, just like you would with an old magazine. Um, whereas my grandmother somehow understood what these meant to me, and so I had a big collection at my grandparents' house. Wow. Um, I can still remember distinctly um, one time grandma taking me and my younger brother and my two younger cousins to the corner store to, to buy treats, and her saying, you guys can have anything you want, whatever you want in the store. And of course, everyone else chose like Ice cream, I think, probably, popsicles. Um, and I picked like a Marvel two-in-one issue. And I, I still remember my grandmother saying that was really smart. Uh, you know, their, their treats will be done by the time we get home and you'll be enjoying yours for a long time. So, hugely profound influence. Um, had my collection at, that, at, at her house, uh, which, you know, when I was like 14, I got to go and pick up the stack and bring it home and actually have it. Uh, they were definitely reading copies. Did you bag and board them? Absolutely not. That was not a thing, by the way, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the in the early 70s when you were eight years old. You did not bag and board. Wow. So you were lucky if they weren't ruined. So what kind of what kind of things did you collect? What kind of things were you into? Um, I can read. So I think you know I loved um, newspaper strip comics too, and this is a thing I think I have. My, my career, uh, so-called career, reflects all of my myriad interests. So I was really big on newspaper comics. Um, the Toronto Sun back in the 70s had a Sunday Sun Comics. Wow. I don't know if any listeners will remember this. It was an actual comic book insert into the Sunday newspaper um, where kids got to draw the cover. Whoa. I submitted probably twice. I never got on the cover of the Sunday Sun comics. but um, So it came out like a little comic. So I even had a stack of those. I loved those old comics. and um, But comic book-wise, like I said, Marvel 2 and 1, I was, I was big into creepy stuff as a kid. So my two first loves were the Harvey comics, which I think you can see in my cartoony brush line for sure. Uh, so Casper, Hot Stuff, uh, especially Hot Stuff, and Spooky. Love that stuff. And then... Um, uh, you know, superhero-wise, back then, stuff was really creepy. I, you know, I came of age in the Marvel horror era, so I had, like, I, I, I bought, like, Son of Satan number one off the shelf. Wow. Yeah. Do you still have <laughs> so it? I do. I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have that issue. I, I know I have it. Um, Save it, man. But uh, that was, like, what a weird thing for a kid that age to do. But th then again, they were marketed to us. I had a lot of Tomb of Dracula's. I was a, I'm a big Morbius fan. I don't know if I'm looking forward to the movie, but anyway. Did you always draw? And when you drew, was it always in that sort of cartoony style that we see now? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I always drew. It was, it was just something that I always did. And again, something that was very much encouraged by my family um, alongside, you know, watching Saturday morning cartoons. N never a problem. Uh, it explains everything. But yeah, I drew all the time, and I was encouraged to do so, and... Um, and, you know, I got, I, 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 I got approval from my family and, and friends for doing it. I even sold, like, fake dirty drawings of ladies in school <laughs> for, like, a quarter. The smart peddler. Totally. Oh, God, I'm glad I got out of that business before I was 10. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, always doodling. But I think more realistically, actually, I was trying to – I was always drawing, like, the family dog and stuff like that, um, which is why – you know, I, I've always loved comics and animation, 
cartooning in all its forms, but it never once occurred to me in my youth that I could make a living at it. And so I went to art school, the Ontario College of Art and Design for fine art. I was going to be a great Canadian painter um, and fell into this line of work accidentally. Wow. So how did you go from like a great Canadian painter, try to be one <laughs> I into was never gonna, I was never going to be a great Canadian. Um, well, uh, as luck would have it, um, I met a couple of great uh, people in art school. Uh, one, uh, my friend Michelle Vrana, who um, was in fourth year, I think it was his last year. Right, when now, now your publisher, he's right? Now, again, my publisher, exactly. And, um, and Nick Crane, uh, who was from Guelph here. He's my Guelph connection. And uh, we were in first year together. They were on the student newspaper, and they put out like an all-comics issue, and were asking everyone from different disciplines if they wanted to draw a goofy comic. So I contributed to that, and that comics issue of the paper was so popular it had to be reprinted like three times. So then Michelle, smarty pants, thought it might be a neat idea to try to do another batch of comics, and this time make a mini-comic and try to sell it at the Silver Snail, which was just down the street in those days. And we did, and it sold out. And is this the Queen Street Silver Snail? Y yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. And um, so all of a sudden, we were making money making comics. When Nick Crane came back to Guelph and he told um, his old employer, Shane Kenny, who ran the comic store here, uh, Collage, back in the day, um, Shane was like, well, if you guys want to do real comics for real, I'll bankroll it. And so straight out of art school where we were paying money to learn how to paint pictures one year, we went in second year to getting paid to make comic books full time. It was crazy. That's amazing. So you dropped out right away? Dropped out, yes. Oh, wow. You're like you gotta be like the umpteenth art school dropout that we've had on the on the podcast. <laughs> I'd I'd like I'd like to see the statistics sometime about how many successful artists graduated versus how many successful artists dropped out. It would be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I have a suspicion in a that lot, the dropouts win. In a lot of my interviews, they basically say that like their teachers didn't exactly encourage their love of comics. It's a, a no, no. It was not a cool thing. I mean, th th this is important to remember. I'm old now. This is a long time mm -hmm. ago. Um, there were no graphic novel programs. I don't even know what graphic novels you would have studied in those programs. I mean, Mouse was out. Watchmen was out. Like, I mean, this is a long time ago. Yeah. I'd so Before they were like the things that you study. Exactly. So, yeah, it was not a recognized art form by any stretch of the imagination. I never imagined, um, like, the first five years probably that I was doing comics... Um, I thought I was just slumming, which is a sad thing to say, but I think that that's sadly one of comics, um, like it's, it's been ghettoized for, for decades, um, thought of as something other, marginalized. Um, and, and, uh, and that's a real shame. Uh, that is no longer the case. I think it's considered a real art form now. Yeah, totally mainstream. Like, you know, the movies everybody brings up, like Marvel and that sort of thing. It's kind of mainstream in a in a weird way like it's it's gone the other way it's so mainstream that people are trying to bring it back to what it used to be a little bit more just so like it's it's true it's not true. everything gets picked up and turns into a movie you know what i mean it's like 
it's it's like P Diddy era hip hop. <laughs> we got it. We got to bring it back, man. Back to the underground. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of the underground, so was Sin the comic that got bankrolled when you uh, dropped out of art school? Sin was my first comic. Right. Yes. I mean, uh, technically, there was also an anthology called Reactor Girl. So I think my very first published comics were in the anthology. To be fair, uh, but yeah, then they crazily gave me my own book. Right. <coughs> And Sin was kind of an anthology in and of itself, too, right? Yeah, like a self-drawn anthology, exactly. So it was, it was um, kind of an homage to Mad Magazine, uh, which I really loved as a kid growing up. Like I said, I loved all comics. Um, and so it's me trying to do a bunch of different stories, uh, some of them connecting, some of them not so much, some of them standalone, fake ads, um, just really having fun with it, and I think it's a, <laughs> I, th I think it's a, a proof of my short attention span. I <laughs> couldn't couldn't draw the same story for more than ten pages. That's amazing, and that's where you know you see some of the characters that would go on to star in these cartoons, right? Exactly. Yeah, the first uh, formation of some of those characters is appearing. I mean, Sin then became Sin Comics. Tragedy Sykes Press, of course, went out of business. Um, you know, with a name like that. Uh, how could they not? Uh, did the um, comic shop survive collage? Or? It, for a little while longer uh, before they retired to do something else as well. Um, but, uh, you know, Michelle Vrana, the, the editor um, for Tragedy Strikes, went on to start Black Eye uh, Books um, and continued publishing my work um, uh, along with the work of many other great cartoonists. Thank world, God. Worldwide. Um, and he went on for a few years after that, but we ended up doing, you know, a new Sin Comics, and then he just let me, I don't know why, uh, he let me experiment. So I, I got to do Atomic City Tales, which was my, like, weirdo superhero pastiche, kind of like a, a, in the vein of, of um, stuff I loved at the, at the time and still do, uh, Flaming Carrot, like Bob Burden's great, great Evan masterpiece. Evan Dorkin's Milk and Cheese, that's stuff Evan too. Dorkin's Milk and Cheese, for sure, and his Hectic Planet stuff, too. Um, and like um, uh, Michael T. Gilbert's Mr. Monster, um, all that stuff was was awesome. Um, Megaton Man. So I got to do Atomic City Tales with Michelle, and then eventually Land of Nod, where the the Nod stuff spun out into its own stuff. And then we did this series of standalone stories where we're introducing like Space Ape Number Eight and Captain Rifle and Tuttenstein. Right, and that's awesome. And like I should say, for the Land of Nod, like. I think that's still your most acclaimed work. I mean, you were nominated for an Eisner. Yeah. Yep. You were nominated for like a special Harvey Award. Yeah, totally. I peaked really early. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that. Uh, I'll never be as good as I was in the mid '90s. I should say that the nod kind of reminds me of the Noid, which was the sort of mascot of Domino's Pizza. Do you ever <laughs> get that comparison? Uh, no. That's funny though. I I'd, I'd actually like to check the dates on that. I'm pretty sure I was first, uh, for the record. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you you broke in sort of like doing Sin Comics and that sort of thing, yeah. but then you went on to like animation. How did that happen? Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, that's the thing too, is that just like my career in comics being accidental, so is my career in animation. I've just been really lucky or been at the right place at the right time. Um, so that's the crazy thing, doing, doing Sin, my first comic, just for a lark, for fun. Um, with no um, expectations at all, uh, no idea where it was going to go, um, and one, but once you float something like that out into the world, you know, it's a bi-monthly comic, people start to pay attention, and then I was getting, like, fan mail, 
which wow. is insane. Um, I mean, this is before email was even really a thing. So people are actually, you know, writing me a letter, sticking a stamp and it's on in it. Stores, right? Like your yeah. code is available. Yeah, and I'm so I'm getting mail from the, you know, from Kentucky and from Australia, and I'm like. Holy crap! Did you uh, get into diamonds or? And oh yeah, yeah, um, we were distributed through diamonds. So so then, uh, that was the biggest driver for for getting better at drawing and writing, and I just it uh, just ramped it up. But the other thing that happened is I got noticed by um, some producers and writers at YTV. So they saw this crazy anthology I was doing, and they were putting together a crazy anthology show called Squawk Box, and uh, hired me to be a writer for this for the show, oh, wow. <laughs> which is insane. I was like. 21 um but man we had a lot of fun and like that was your first foray in anima animation right because you did a thing called wonder duds that's what right that? that's right I, i'm actually the voice of wonder duds <laughs> <laughs> uncredited because uh i was not union it's a long time ago now i don't think i can get in trouble anymore um so yeah wonder duds is an inept superhero they, they really loved captain rightful who is another inept superhero of mine but I was just wise enough back then to not give them one of my characters. Oh, so I just good. I created a new, differently inept superhero who actually does have arms. Um, but uh, Wonder Duds has been, it's really hard to find those shorts. I can't find any online evidence of Squawk Box anymore. If there are any listeners out there that have any Squawk Box episodes, please upload them to YouTube uh, I, for the world to see. I actually was looking for Squawk Box stuff before I came here today, and I found the opening, and I found one yeah. sketch called Les Connoisseurs, where Dove, who I mentioned off the top, and He's hilarious. would sort of evaluate their farts as if they were going to a French restaurant, but I didn't see Wonder Duds at all. Oh. The Connoisseurs is not one of my sketches, but that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, Wonder Duds, though, has returned for the first time in decades in the new DJX collection because uh, as it is uh, a sort of scrapbook ad hoc collection of all the bits and bobs that were never collected or never seen, Wonder Duds fits in perfectly. It's, so it's all the original storyboards from Wonder Duds uh, for those of you who are interested. Yeah, and you said earlier that you were really into, like, creepy comics i mean oh for sure i'm looking at tales of the guelphite and it's it's got an homage cover to ec horror tales oh from yeah the crypt. absolutely and I, I can't help but wondering is that because of your your upbringing oh yeah i know what you're talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um like i said before i'm a first generation canadian so my um my grandparents immigrated post-war uh london um, and had survived uh, the Blitz, the bombing of London. Um, they actually lived with um, some gypsies. Uh, I know that's not the right word these days, but that's what my grandmother called them, pardon me, uh, by the river for, for like a year. That's where my grandmother learned how to uh, read tea leaves and do tarot readings and stuff. Um, she was a really... Um, creepy lady. I loved her. Did she make um, it into a side business? Like, did she actually do? No, no, she did for fun. Um, but they used to have like Ouija board parties when I was a kid and stuff. Um, and she'd tell ghost stories. I remember like telling her I thought I'd seen a ghost at like, like this is the opposite of what most parents or grandparents would do. I remember telling her like, I thought I'd seen a ghost of a little girl at this house, like at, in their backyard or whatever, backed under our school. And she goes, oh yeah, that's the so-and-so house. And like, sh not only did she believe it, she reinforced it and said, yeah, I went to dinner there once and we heard weird footsteps upstairs. <laughs> so she's like, she's telling like a seven-year-old, oh yeah, there's definitely a ghost in that house. So uh, you could say I was raised occult because we, we, we had um, no discernible organized religion in my family, but um, we definitely believed in spirits um, 
it's pretty weird. Do you still believe in ghosts? Let's just say I, d- I, um, I like to call ghost stories as like told as true stories, meaning that the people that experience those things know that they experience them. Right. That it's a true story. Mm. Um, what the truth behind the experience is, I don't pretend to know. Right. So do I believe in ghost stories? Yes. Do I uh, believe that we don't die after we perish? I'm not so sure I know how to explain the ghost phenomenon. But yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with, with, with um, Fortean um, information and occult knowledge. I, th- I think that stuff's awesome. Right, and spinning out of that, kind of the Secret Saturdays was that because you're into cryptozoology Absolutely, too. yeah. Cryptozoology, the, the best of the pseudosciences. Uh, obviously, if you're studying animals, it is called zoology. Um, cryptozoology is the study of unknown animals like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Yeti, Chupacabra, um, and many, many more. Ogopogo, let's go Canadian, Yellowtop, um, Devil Monkey, uh, Coquitlam. Uh, yeah, so there's, uh, we, we've got a lot of indigenous um, um, monsters as well. So yeah, The Secret Saturdays is a show, it's like a reverse Scooby-Doo. It's like an old school Hanna-Barbera show, but instead of uncovering mysteries, they are trying to protect the mysteries from being ruined by everybody right because we would ruin them like that's a very modern take you know like we're ruining the environment of course we would ruin the the uh, crypto monsters everybody just leave bigfoot alone okay just stop flashing your photos at him totally and this was like a mainstream show like this was like on the cartoon network had its own toy line yeah mattel toys like and a wii game as like a a a toy line that's kind of crazy super super weird um yeah, it's, it's hard not to be completely um, disconnected from the experience. I mean, it, it, and I mean it, when you're doing an animated series like that, too, it is absolutely a collaborative effort. Um, I couldn't have done it without, without all of my um, co-participants. So it's, it doesn't feel totally personal. But I mean, like, I came up with those characters on my own and drew them and wrote the, the series Bible and all that stuff. And it, it is bizarre to see it kind of click, even on a small level. It was the worst time to launch a cartoon series for for cartoon network of course well they had just had a new um studio head come in who had announced so we got greenlit and then everyone got fired and replaced it's a longer story you can you can google this folks there's a youtube video about it um and then by the time we launched uh cartoon network had already announced they were going all live action does anyone remember the live action cartoon network era it was horrible (laughs) I'm I'm glad I don't remember it. Then. So we were we were a little unsupported. I, I think if we hadn't had the Mattel toy line behind us, we probably wouldn't have gotten renewed at all. Um, but you know, it was just bad timing. Wow. Uh, other than that, I had a lot of fun. And the good news about knowing you were going to be canceled is that we could write a satisfying ending for the show. Yeah, that, that's good. At least you could like end it, you know, and and the people would be satisfied, and like people still come up to you and remember the show, right? Oh yeah. I for mean, sure. That's pretty amazing. I mean, and, and that wasn't your only cartoon, so you're on a bit of a streak because right. Tuttenstein was also yes. a cartoon that you did for Discovery, right? Yeah, so so Wonder Duds being the official first cartoon, then uh, Jet Cat would have been the second one. So Oddville got optioned um, as animated shorts for Nickelodeon's Kablam uh, series, a little bit like Squawk Box, but purely animated. It was a, it was a pretty weird show. Loved it. And then from there, Tuttenstein for uh, Discovery Kids, um, which again is, so both Jack Cat and Tuttenstein appeared in comics beforehand, so it was, um, these would be 
technically licensing deals as opposed to created for animation, right. whereas Secret Saturdays was created specifically for Cartoon Network. Right. Okay. So but, you know, you, you got to do one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and Tuttenstein was like this mummy boy sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, inspired by, um, again, most of my comics have a, have a healthy mixture of, like, adult weirdo and, like, faithful childhood memories, you know? Um, like we were talking about my incline before. There's something nostalgic about the work, but also uh, progressive, I hope, at this simultaneously. So, um, Tunstein comes from an old memory. Um, back when I was a kid, the, the treasures of Tutankhamun were touring the world. And they came to Toronto with the Ontario, uh, uh, the AGO, I think, not the ROM. I think it was the art gallery. Um, and my dad dragged us out there at night. It was dark. I think it was even stormy outside. And the whole exhibit was dimly lit. So you walked from darkroom to darkroom, almost like walking through a tomb, seeing these treasures like lit gold glittering in the darkness. And then ends, of course, with his mask, just like in the center of the room, super creepy, super impressive, like beautifully traumatic. And then that concept that he was a kid the whole time was hard not to see how small everything was, just absolutely freaked me out. So uh, I've been into Egyptology ever since, and I'm glad I got a chance to like access that passion with uh, Tuttenstein. That's amazing. Like. I can't imagine, like, somebody that's into, like, all the weird, crazy stuff that you're into, like, that must have been a dream to see that exhibit. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, profound. Wow. Absolutely profound. Crazy. So so you've been really lucky, man, and now I you're sort been. of back to doing what you d do best with uh, with DJX coming out. Yeah. What, what inspired you to sort of uh, bring all these characters back? And, uh... uh it's uh, it's actually I blame Michelle again. So he's he's back to publishing comics after uh, decades of being an award-winning book designer. Um, he was going through some old files uh, and realized there were some unpublished comics from when Black Eye folded years ago. And he looking into modern uh, publishing and dis distributing, he's like, you know, we can put out like retro issues of our old stuff and reprints of old stuff for for hardcore collectors. Uh, and he started with Dylan Horrocks, a uh, um, New Zealand creator, um, his missing issue of Pickle, uh, an old comic that Michelle used to publish as well. And then he approached me. We were all excited about it. He's uh, uh, picking my brain, asking my opinion. And he said, do you have anything? And I said, well, actually, I've been slowly scanning and remastering and coloring these old, weird lost bits and bobs of rejected comic strips. So stuff that publishers rejected, stuff that was never reprinted, um, stuff that was only published once in obscure places, the whole run of the Nod strip that ran in Exclaim magazine back when that happened. Um, rejects, dejects, weird stuff. And Michelle's like, that's it. That's what we should do. So here it is. <laughs> it's sort of like brand your, new old stuff. Your underground cutting room floor stuff. Absolutely, yeah, it's not all like for the faint of heart. No deep tracks and B sides. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want it because your style is so cartoony. It's so you know what people know of with like classic cartoons like Steamboat Willie and that sort of thing. Yeah. How do you? draw that way? What is it about your technique that allows you to draw in that cartoon style, or does it just come out in oh, a natural man. way? Uh, I think it's just natural, It's and it's bit by bit. I mean, that's the crazy thing about DJX, too, is, is because it's a collection of work from over, you know, three decades, um, 
there's some awkward looking stuff in there. You can, see, you, I mean, you can really see me learning how to draw um, through this book. So it's a, it's a process of trial and error. I mean, I used to draw with a crow quill, like a, 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 a nib, and uh, couldn't understand why it didn't look like my favorite stuff. Um, like a Warren Kramer line from, from uh, or Howie Post line from um, Harvey Comics. Uh, and the first time I picked up a brush, I was like, okay, this is what they're doing. Okay, I get it. Um, Just the, the utensil? The utensil happen. itself, yeah, the thick, thin. Um, and then that took years to master properly. Uh, well, master, I don't know if, I'm, I, if I'll ever master it. Um, but it is the tool I like. And then that, the tool itself starts changing the way you draw things. And so over time, it's, it's, it's sort of solidified into my recognizable style. I still like to push the envelope, though, and draw differently for different projects. Yeah, and like you were saying, it's a heavy ink line, so there's a lot of blacks, there's a lot of whites. Exactly. It's very bold, right? Yep, yeah, it's an either-or, on-off kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, which I like. I don't know, I, I find that appealing. I, I guess I'm a little bit of a minimalist, um, generally speaking. Right, and there's a nostalgia factor there as well. Absolutely, yeah. Right. So when you go from like doing comics to breaking out into animation, and then things get canceled, and now you're back with DJX, what were you doing in between? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I uh, animation took a took took me on a big detour, um, and I continued to 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 pitch other animation stuff, and still still to do this day, although I. I'm having way more fun back in print, to be perfectly honest. Um, and then I did a couple of uh, drawing books for kids, um, how to draw books called Monsters, Heroes, and Robots, and another one called Freaky Fun Activities. And then I did a daily newspaper strip for a year, which is definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, oh, brother, with uh, my writing partner, Bob Weber Jr. That is grueling work, friends. Um, next time you look at a newspaper comic and go, that's not funny, just remember, if it's funny three times a week, they've pulled off a miracle. Was it single panel or was it a strip? Or it was a strip, but we did it. Okay, so it's, that's a good question too, and it's funny because the answer is both. Oh. Um, so we did a um, sequenced panel strip, but we did it in a corner box format. So it's actually rectangular but broken into panels. Ah. Yeah. So we used that, you know, Family Circus. Um, uh, Dennis the Menace format, Marmaduke format, but like broke it apart. Um, really, really fun. I really, I'm really proud of the work, but um, as with everything I've ever done, uh, the timing was completely off. So just like Secret Saturdays, you know, we, we're, we're launching a daily strip right at the, at the point that newspapers are cutting all of their uh, sections, cutting strips, cutting, cutting all kinds of stuff due to a loss of advertising revenue because of changing technology. So it didn't last. And so you then... You could take it to the web if you wanted to. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, yeah. Who, who publishes in a newspaper anymore? Um, so uh, after that experience, I decided to retire and manage the local art store, Wyndham Art Supplies. Oh, cool. So I did that for a few years. That's amazing. So all these up and ups and downs, how do you feel about it? How do you handle it? I mean, I... Art is tough, man. People people don't it respect is. it. I'm a freelance writer, and people are like, you know, you don't get paid on time. You sometimes, and like they don't really <laughs> all the time. They, everyone sort of seems like when you're in an arts field, it's sort of a situation where everybody thinks that they can do it, or it's not that hard. Or, right. They know, don't. They don't like, see they don't that. Oh it as no. Like, you know, you being like a contractor or a doctor or a lawyer or that sort of thing. It's not the same so sort of true. respect. So how do you handle all these ups and downs? 
with therapy. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's been an interesting ride. I have to say, I know this will sound weird, but I'm very happy to be sort of post ambitious in my career now. Um, you know, I've 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 sort of hit the heights of of a lot of the things. I mean, I got to draw Batman with Paul Pope. I got to do Teen Titans with with the All Reds and original creator Bob Haney. I mean, these are these are cool things, man. Um, I've seen Tunstein in the Macy's Parade. Like, you know, what else is there to do except relax into it and be like, you know? So, I, I like that. Now nowadays, I really am mostly, almost always, only making work that I like because I like it. Right. And so the rest of it doesn't matter. I mean, I do ongoing posters for the local pub here in Guelph, the Woolly, um, for their tap takeovers, and, and they're done like old comic books. Um, there's, you can see some of that stuff online, and that is some of the most fun stuff. What brought you to Guelph from Toronto? Like, Toronto seems like the place you'd want to be. Why, why come to Guelph? I mean, you have the well, connection through the collage and stuff. But these, yeah, that's, that is why I came. Okay. It, was just, it was for the comics originally. Um, and back then, believe it or not, folks, it was a lot cheaper to live in Guelph. Wow. These days, this is, this is the GTA. So uh, I would have to move to, like, I don't know, further than Fergus, I think, to be cheap. Um, but, yeah, it was the cost of living. I mean, if you're going to be a cartoonist for a living, you got to, like, uh, think about your budget. Wow. I don't know how cartoonists make it in Toronto unless they have three other jobs. Yeah, I mean, you, you like you said, I mean, you're, you're managing an art store. You're doing a whole bunch of other things. You're doing some writing. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, now I've, I've lived here in Guelph longer than I've lived any, anywhere else. So I think I am a Guelphite now, mm -mm. I think. Yeah, I don't know if it's official. I, I think they need to give me a badge. Maybe the Boy Scouts can give me a badge. And, they're, they're here today. And, I mean, today. there's really strong cartooning here. I mean, Seth is here. Uh, one of like Canada's greatest cartoonists. So, Absolutely. I mean, the, the he has a new new show just opened yesterday here in Guelph. Yeah, at the at the art gallery. Yep. And so the community must be really strong. It is actually. Yeah, I feel I feel really re uh, uh, respected and supported. At the same time, it's also very normalized. And I like that too. Is that I just bump into these people at the at at you know restaurants in town. Um, so I. Um, I like what I do, but I also like to think of it as no big deal. Um, it's not magic. It's just a it's just a job, um, and that's a healthy attitude to have about uh, about this stuff. So, it feels that way too, and I like that. It's I, a it's a blue collar comics town. I would be remiss if I didn't touch on your mainstream comics work, especially because you got <laughs> to like work on you know Teen Titans with the creator and that sort of thing. That uh, was amazing. Like, how? What was that experience like? How did you get that opportunity? Uh, it did, was. Did you pursue mainstream comics on your own? Here's another. Here's another dejectable story. This is a hilarious story too. Um, Bob Haney wrote that script. Uh, came to DC. Uh, he was aging, so it was like a, a kind of probably going to be his last Teen Titans script. Uh, it's super weird. It's about how JFK didn't really die. That was really an alien. <laughs> uh, he t joins the Teen Titans in outer space. It's nuts. Like, was Bob Hamian a bit of a conspiracy nut? Or? Uh, he, he's a delightful nut. I mean, it, that just, I mean, I love his stuff so much. Right. Uh, it's such an honor. Um, and then when DC was looking for somebody weird, who had that weird touch, um, commercial but strange, um, they went to Mike Allred. <coughs> Excuse me. At the time, he was too busy to do it all himself, and he and I had collaborated before, and so he asked me to join him, which was quite an honor. 
Um, but again, with my with my deject luck, my crazy uh, bad timing, we drew the book, um, and then the new Teen Titans cartoon came out, like the first one, Teen Titans Go. Right, very anime-inspired, that kind of thing. And then DC decided not to release our book. It was supposed to be in Elseworlds back when there were Elseworlds. They decided not to release it because it would dilute the brand or confuse people. So they shelved it. We were very upset. And then the great Bob Haney passed away without ever seeing that book published. So Mike and I were pretty upset about it. I mean, Mike is far more of a a lovely gentleman than I I am, and and he just quietly mourned the loss of Bob uh, not seeing us. But I was was far more vocal about it. I was pissed off. Um, They finally released it. Um, But uh, I think it was like four or five years later. So that's another weird... So our book came out like long after it was finished. And it was a weird... I, I didn't know if it was ever going to see the light of day, to be honest. How can people find it? What was it called? Uh, I think it's called Teen Titans Lost Annual. Okay. Yeah. And we and they got um, Nick Carty, the original Titans artist, to do the cover, too, which is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a weird, weird, weird comic, um, I'm proud to say. So how did it feel going from sort of like the independent comic scene to doing mainstream comics did you sort of fall into it uh what happened well there? i think the fun I, I think i don't know if it if i ever really noticed the difference i mean like because i grew up loving all kinds of different comics i i just approached it exactly the same i i think maybe the mainstream hires i've had are people knowing full well what i do so i think they know that they're getting some str- stranger things from me right yeah. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. That's so good, man. Well, this has been great talking to you. I I love being able to sort of go back to sort of the cartoon style that, that I love and meeting somebody that has an affinity for that stuff like I do. Thanks, Aaron. I mean, this is great. I mean, DJX is coming out. You're you're sort of making a return. It's sort of like a remember Jay Stevens moment, right? <laughs> it <is. laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I was in two museum shows last year, so I guess I'm reaching that t- p- point in my career where I'm ossifying. Right. Uh, it's a it's a remember me as opposed to what's new, dude. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But you got a lot of new stuff, and I mean, people yeah. should check it out. I mean, this is coming out. DJX is coming out. If you like cartoony type of things, you should definitely look up Jay Stevens uh, and uh, definitely check him out. Where can people find you if they want to uh, follow your work? So uh, currently, my my mainstream regular gig is back with the old guys at Owl Magazine. So my my, uh, Canadian superhero Arrowhead continues monthly in that magazine. Right. Was that a, did that appear in True Patriot as well? It did, yeah. Originally from True Patriot and, and now migrating to the great Canadian Owl magazine. Um, and then DJX should be available online through Black Eye Books. Um, you can follow them on, on Instagram. Uh, look them up on the web. Um, and uh, should be more stuff coming from them shortly. Right, because everything old is new again. I mean, exactly. you, have, you have the Land of Nod re-release here. Yeah, this is this is good too. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a short release for this book tour, but we, if, if we get enough buzz for it. So the Tuttenstein issue of Land of Nod, Land of Nod number three, was actually misprinted back in 1997. There was a mistake in the book. I repeat, a mistake in the book. What so happened? we actually, um, well, we had scanned the lettering separately and dropped it in because it was all drawn on the page. It's 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 sort of a crumbly. Uh, you got to see it to s- to see what we mean. That the art was a bit um, um, 
there's like a charcoal-y look to it. So to keep the letters clean, we scan them differently and accidentally dropped in the same uh, sentence twice on one page. So it's a rhyming verse that doesn't rhyme. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, back it's, to back? Like it's yeah, one sentence yeah. and then sentence again? So after the first batch of books went out, we pulped the line. So it's a very rare issue. The Tunstein issue of Land of Nod is very, very rare. This is the official second printing with the typo corrected. So this is the first time the, the very first Tuttenstein story uh, has seen print corrected outside of the Rockabye book collection. Wow. And, yeah. so thi and this is probably people's first exposure to it, so they won't even recognize it as like a second print, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. The, the, I don't know how many. There were a couple. When I announced that I would have this book, a couple of people popped up online to say, hey, look, here I have it. I have one. I was like, yeah, you, that's, that's one of, I don't know, 200 maybe? Right. They're super rare guys. And I see a lot of like, you know, Richie Rich inspired stuff with the with the good guys and that kind of thing as well. Oh yeah, yeah, those have been very popular um my my little sort of um hardcore horror uh characters reinterpreted as as uh, Harvey Comics characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. That's pretty amazing, man. Uh can people follow you on social media? Are you on social media at all? Yeah, uh Instagram's the best. It's the one I keep up with the most. So, I'm J Popgun, J A Y P O P G-U-N. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm posting stuff every day. That's awesome. I can't wait to see where your career goes. I, I, I love this resurgence of the of the Jay Stevens brand. And uh, it's been great talking to you, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Talk to you soon. And we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. <laughs>